Hello and welcome to Red's Business and Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Barnes. I'm your co-host, Brad Ferris. And today we're sitting down with an absolute expert in the cybersecurity field, Chris Polkinghorn, whose most recent title was uh, Head of Security at SwiftX, but has two decades of experience in the industry. So looking forward to getting out some quality insights into cybersecurity from this episode. Chris, thanks for joining us, mate. Did you want to start with your background rolling way back to 20 years ago? Yeah, sure. It's great to be here. Um, I I started at, uh, I don't know what got me interested in security. I think it was when a friend of mine hacked into my computer <laughs> and made my CD drive eject yeah. over ICQ back in the mid-90s or ICQ. something. ICQ. Something, something like that. So there we go. Made me want to know how he did that, so I went yeah. trying to figure it out and, you know, that was, uh, that, was, that was a good introduction, but I probably, I went to uni after that and um, I had to... I'm sure I'm like past any liability, whatever it's called. You know. <laughs> Statute of liabilities. Statute of liabilities. That's, yeah. that, this, is, this is like the start of 2000. So I, um, I got in a bit of trouble for sort of hacking into all these computers. Uh, not, not, not like proper hacking, like, yep. you know, we used, to, we used to get like 50 megabytes of internet quota and we figured out a way how to sort of connect into everyone's systems and borrow their, borrow <laughs> their quota. So we, um, my friends and I were sort of, you know, did that to about a thousand students, and so um, you know we had unlimited. Mm. But uh, but so then I had, to, I had to write a bit of a letter, and you know that that sort of said uh, write a, write a letter to the uni saying please please don't kick me out. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good boy. Uh, how'd so, they catch you? Well, there was like a you know this this other guy in IT. He in, in one of the other col- this is on the colleges I should say. He he said he caught me by looking at the logs, but I think it's I think someone just told him. That it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> look at the logs in the nineties. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I think that's what it was. There's no nothing nothing overly technical there, no CSI stuff. Yep. So, <laughs> yep. Um, and then look after that, I I, I can't have been too bad because I went from there and then I went into into defence intelligence and had to go through all the security clearances. So that, they said it wasn't too bad. So you know I made it through uni, I made it through that, yep. and. Uh, and then it sort of hopped around a few places. Um, Starting in IT, or did you go straight into cyber? Uh, I say I was in security from from day one at oh, wow. um, at Defence uh, Signals Directorate now now ASD. Um, that was that was a lot of fun. A lot of, lot of awesome people. Um, nice and cold in Canberra, and uh, you know one of the I think we set a record. I had my we, we had an indoor cricket team in Canberra, and we set a record for the biggest defeat ever at the. We lost biggest defeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We the other team scored two hundred and something, and we got we got negative negative fifty. Was that the it? the IT team? Was it? Yeah, they yeah. lost. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So we were, we were, we were, our, our graduate intake was absolute athletes. Yeah, um, yeah. Just the best. lethal so, weapons. Yeah, yeah, good, very good with the tech. Not good, not good at, at anything else. So um, yeah, and then I, I moved back to Brisbane, took a few different roles, um, contracted a bit. I did uh, a good long time at, at Melbourne IT, uh, Web Central, I think it was back then, and sort of changed its name a few times, um, and then went to Accenture, uh, and then and then came to SwiftX, and now and then that's that's finished up, and now I'm figuring out what I'm going to do next. So I'm sort of my current mantra is I just say yes to everything, uh, every conversation. Yeah. So um, 
So that's why I'm here. Like we, coming uh, on this podcast, yeah. yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> Brad reached out and we, we did a director's course together and, uh, and I said, that sounds really cool. Let's yeah. let's have a chat. Yeah. So, yeah. Beauty. So uh, SwiftX, what did you do there? What was your title and what were you in charge of? And, and maybe just for those who don't know what it is, like what they do. SwiftX is a, is a cryptocurrency trading platform in the news quite a bit at the moment, so... Definitely uh, check check that out. But um, you know, it was a, it was a rapid scale up place. We I think while I was there, we went from um, eighty people to about three hundred and thirty over the space of uh, twelve and a bit months. So it was just wow, crazy. Um, it was just frenetic pace. Yep. You know, customers went from you know, low hundreds of thousands to six, seven, eight hundred thousand. So it was. Just, just rampant pace. Really, really good. Just hiring every week. Three people coming in. It was, it was awesome. I absolutely loved it. Yep. Um, so I was the head of security there, sort of building out the the security program, protecting the customers, sort of defending against. Um, you know, crypto is a pretty hostile place. A lot, lot of attackers. Um, and so building out those programs that, that protected the customers, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Loved it. Mm. How big was the team there when you first started? The security, Your team. The security team was – there was, there was uh, two people plus myself uh, and then we, we sort of quickly ratcheted that up to uh, in the 20s. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. It was, we, it, was, it was pretty – we sort of built it out across uh, a couple of streams. There was um, quite a you know, big focus on – the internal sort of security operations side, you call it like the SOC, um, we call it cyber defense, focus on like assurance, offensive um, application security, all the all the areas. It was, mm. it was a lot of fun. All did it in six months, that, that process. So wow. in that industry, in the crypto space, I mean, crypto is in the news a lot lately. Like was it a higher... Uh, what am I trying to say? Was it a, was this a bigger target for threat actors because it's crypto? Pretty much because there's just such um, an, a, a bad guy who can pull off an attack. They're so directly connected with profitability. Like once it hits, if they can exit that that money, you know, and hit their wallet, very, very difficult to, to recover from. Yeah, right. Whereas mm-hmm. if you look at like a tax on the fine other, you know, against the, the regular banking, like you can, there is methods to claw back funds, you know, you can... You can pause and slow things down. So there is there is avenues for recovery there. It's still a lot of attacks in that space. So, um, so crypto is like a quite high value target, and you can get in, get out, and high. and kind of leave no trace. High value. I remember I remember seeing some some stats on it that like a single looking at like the the value of a compromised account across all these different services, and like a I think like a like a PayPal account might be worth eighty bucks. You know, on these dark web forums and whatnot, and you know, like a account with any of the big major banks might be worth 40 bucks something like that your netflix accounts worth like six bucks mm. um credit cards are saying like it's all it's all pretty low because there's a lot of mechanisms in place to stop attackers monetizing those things to really impede them the crypto space i think on the the data i saw was it was about four to five hundred dollars per per account so you know, the, the, we meant that you know any anywhere where there's money to be made, attackers yep. are experts at monetization <laughs> of it. Mm. They they really farm it out, and you would end up with um, you know attacker groups who specialize in the phishing aspect, in, in pulling in leads, and then you you end up with attackers who are experts um, at you know taking those sort of warm leads and then compromising their accounts, and then that feeds into this machine. The people who are experts at acquiring those accounts, and then pulling the funds out um so mm, i guess you know, we've put in a lot of things to to stop that happening with a big big fraud team a lot, yeah. lot of systems in place to, to stop it but yeah it was a very um it's 
it's it's this is it's just a dangerous landscape all, mm. all of those so. I'm envisioning in my mind like a like a zombie movie on like top of this big mountain and there's all these zombies like trying to come up and all these threat actors you're trying to whack away. We would have, you would have seen it all, I'd say, from a cybersecurity point of view in 20 years and then at a big crypto exchange. Were they the biggest in Australia, SwiftX? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, there's, there's one other, but you know, it's you know, hard to know who's the biggest. But yeah. I think yeah. we, were, we were certainly the most, the most prevalent, you know, advertising on NRL, every, everywhere you're looking yep. on, the, on the back of the, the yep. heat and, and everything. So yeah. it, was, uh, yeah, it, was, it was awesome being a part of it. Awesome. So, so um, from your time there, what was some of your uh, biggest achievements at SwiftX? Well, we got uh, sort of building out the program for one. That was, that was, that was great fun to do, um, you know, building out a – a security capability that was like linked in with the products getting produced. Like, it, like if you look at a lot of security uh, uh, operations, they, they inherently get linked with just IT and, yep. and trying to break it out of IT and drive it into the actual product. The thing that creates value for the business is, is, is a, you know, I think you're, you're inherently linked to much more value. So you're, you're going to end up with a bigger, more impactful program. So being able to do that was, was really good. Um, getting uh, ISO 27001, we went from start to finish on that in, I think, four months, something wow. along those lines. Like most people probably take two years, but mm. we, were, we, we, we were always pretty fast there. Um, and that, you know, we were able to do it because we had a big team and big buy-in the business, you know, really securities, uh, you know, was, was paramount, with, you know, woven throughout the company. So that's why we were able to do things quick. Some of the some of the big ones. What are some of the uh, lessons you learned from your time at SwiftX? No doubt uh, you've you get an attack from from all sides. Um, building a big team, getting us in two thousand one. What are some lessons you, you learned in that time? It's probably about following the, the the data. Like fundamentally, your job is is to protect and and understand the the business. So it's to uh, the, the focus on um, what we used to call situational awareness. So. If, uh, you know, once again, that's about driving security out of just being, you know, laptop defence, email defence and driving it into the product. So if you could, if you could deeply understand where the business is trying to get to, uh, you know, what the data is, what the customers, you know, how they want to interact and what their demands are, then I, I think if you focus on that, that's, that, that, that would be, that would be a lesson for me. If I was starting it all again tomorrow, I would, it, it, that would, that's where I would immediately start is, you know, is one understanding, you know, those g- gaining that really deep situational awareness and, and really focusing on on where you know every every bit of data is mm. in the in the business. That's really good advice, and that's something that we try and practice as well. Here is that um, when business we have cyber conversations with businesses, we start with uh, what data do you have that's important to protect, and where is it now, and that's where you want to protect first, right? And so that's that's some good advice. What did um, the cybersecurity industry look like? Yeah, uh, twenty years ago compared to now. I, I remember like, your first job is like uh, I was like pulling RAM out of servers and stuff like that. You know, we were selling assets, so that was like my first, my very first security job in in defence. Why were you pulling RAM out? Oh, you know, when you're recycling assets, so you know, defence would get worried. There would be a standard, big, big standard on how to how to do it, secure disposal, and it's uh, like, yeah. oh well, no, no hard drives, no memory. <laughs> So, you know, that's, that's what it looked like. Um, and, you know, that, that's based off of breaches. I'm sure that incident happened. And so, you know, so now, now everyone had to check that. So, um, but I'd say you, what, what you used to see is security's job was to install like antivirus on, yeah. on someone's laptop. And yeah. that was, now you were, now you were secure. Yep. And uh, just a password and, and, and antivirus tool. That's cybersecurity 20 years ago. Definitely. 
Definitely. Uh, um, you know, there was identity in concept. I mean, it was just Active Directory or something like that. Was that's that was that was your identity? Yeah. Um, and you know, interestingly enough, I would say that there's probably still the number one attack back there is compromised credentials, and the number one attack, you know, for, for really significant attacks is compromised credentials now. Like, so I, I don't think not much has changed there. <laughs> Antivirus has just evolved. You've got you know super powerful agents now i don't really get into all the shortenings and acronyms i don't keep up with xdrs or whatever the heck all it means it's a lot of drs it's all the same stuff just you know really powerful agents that can consume a lot of intel you know coming locally from the boxes you know it's going to do a much better job than looking for signs and signatures so yeah i think but i think security was probably fundamentally an it problem yep it was just a it was just a tech thing you know even probably going back maybe 12 years something like that just you know throughout the early 2000s i think i think security was just a it was just a tech problem and then now it's breaking out a lot and it's you know fundamentally driven by risk driven by data security driven by you know you're seeing privacy coming under the banner of security and i think australia's probably a fair bit behind on on the privacy stakes compared to some of the some of the you know eu uk their gdprs and even the US, you know. Um, so I think I think that's where we'll see big change here. So looking across your career, a long career in security, um, when you approach a new company or a new business and you're looking at their cybersecurity strategy, is that influenced by the type of business? And again, we're probably harping on about this because it is crypto and it is that's usually what people, when it's a ransomware, like pay us in Bitcoin or pay us in some kind of crypto. So across your career, when you're setting a security strategy, is that influenced like how much does the the type of industry or the type of business um, and the kind of inherent risks or security risks affect the way you approach security like is it a one-size-fits-all or do you know like this is a heightened there's a heightened risk in this industry so we've got to do things a little bit differently how does that how does that play out i reckon every security program if you boil it down enough it, it comes down to like the really basic elements of just plan do check act like if you, that's that's sort of at the yeah, core okay. of, of, of like the ISO 27001 standard. There's different ways to do it and, and whatever, but, you know, fundamentally it's plan for something, you know, come up with a plan. So think think ahead, how you're going to, what you need to do, you know, look at your risks, do all that stuff, then actually do something, make them, make them better, put yep. some things in place, check that they're actually working. Um, and then if you find any issues out of your checking, act, and then the cycle just repeats. All like, right. So you can sort of boil that program down and, and then, you know, regardless of the size of your business, you could apply that that concept. And then... As but you, I guess your budget to attack those things is different from a, you know, 50-person business versus a, a crypto exchange, right? Totally, totally. And that the, the, the variable on that is the, the risk, you know. So if you've got a risk program that says, you know, the cost of, a, of a, an issue, that's going to influence... How you address those those elements, the right. planning, checking, doing, and acting—that's mm. that's that's what's going to change there. So, you know, and that's based upon the loss to the business, the the loss to the clients, and and then you get variables coming in there, which is like the um, you know, the government increasing the fines that can be imposed on a business for running for being negligent in your cybersecurity duties. You know, mm. on the, mm. so like that's that's changes the risk equation right there. It might have been what a two million dollar fine, and now it can be up to fifty million. Yep. 
um, let alone that's without even touching the brand damage, which can be yeah. company company ending. Yeah. So. so when you when you're at SwiftX, I imagine you would have had a lot of experience with this around building the team, saying I need this new hire, I need this new tool, for example, and probably even prior to prior to that, you would have to go to the CFO and you say you need these things um, around cybersecurity. How did you articulate the risk back to the people who have, have the purse strings um, to get what you needed to build out this that large cybersecurity team? We, we understood risk pretty well. Uh, we spent, spent a lot of time sort of being able to describe what that looks like. And there's different methods. We tried out a few and some, some things worked better than others. But, you know, fundamentally, if you can show someone that this is a very severe risk, um, we think that it can lead to this event. Uh, we think that this is the likelihood of that event occurring. And then you can go through and talk about do we want to decrease the likelihood? Do we want to make that occur less? Do we want to decrease the size of the event? And that, that helps then inform the, you know, the, the selection of, of what you do there. Because you, know, you can make it as complicated as you want. And if you're a you know, big, really mature businesses, they have immense risk management practices and very complex. I'm not a specialist in that space. I like sort of keep things really simple. You know, that's all risk is an equation of is you know, the something bad happening um, and the likelihood of that bad thing happening. And then out of there, you talk it through and you discuss what do we want to get it to? Um, how do we get it down to a level we're all comfortable with? And then how much does it cost to do that? And then you can sort of represent a return on investment equation. And that's that, that's that's the general approach. So that, that, mm. that's what we applied. That's, um, that's really good advice, actually. Uh, focusing on just the likelihood of this happening if we don't put this tool in place, for example, and what's the impact um, that's mitigated if we do put this tool in place and really just have that conversation. So that, that's really good advice. I think um, you can break it down and uh, if you're in the IT team and you're responsible for cyber and you have this really technical conversation with you know, CFOs and stuff trying to get money out of them, they're going to go, what are you talking about? But focus just on the what's the likelihood of this uh, you know, us getting breached, for example, and what's the impact or what's this tool going to do to the impact um, if we put it in place or don't put it in place, that's some really good advice. People so overcomplicate it. Yeah, like, keep it keep it simple. Like, yeah, you know, people. But yeah, different companies works different size, smaller business. A nice nice chart, nice quadrants. Up the top, very top corner is the really bad stuff. Down the very bottom left corner is the not so bad. And your job is to try and get less things, point it, keep it pointing down. Yep. That's, that's what you want to do. So. <laughs> so there's been a lot of uh, large-scale breaches in Australia, um, you know, Optus, Medibank and those kind of things. It's been under – feels like in the media that Australian businesses, uh, large and small, have been under consistent attack. Um, in, in your world, in, in your words, I mean, you've been in the industry for 20 years, cybersecurity, uh, which is a lot longer than everyone else. I feel like the, a lot of people in that sector now, but definitely 20 years ago, we were in a small market for cybersecurity um, experts. What do you think is going on? Yeah, I remember I, I did some reading on it, and I, I don't know if it's I don't know if there's more events. I, I, what I think what I think's happening, I think it's a sort of a, actually a bit of a feedback loop. There is there is more attacks because now they're more the media is covering them more, and the attackers are using the media's coverage to monetize. So they're they're leveraging the coverage. Um, they're you know they're leveraging the government's you know, increasing fines, they're leveraging all of these things to then drive more attacks to make more money and the feedback loop continues. You know, it's, uh, I, 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 so there probably is more attacks that are, that, that are happening. 
Um, every every week I get you know someone messages about some some new attack. I sit in a couple of like security groups and you, you sort of hear what's going on. I saw there was one in the news a couple of weeks ago about some a school in Brisbane something happened yeah. and I'm like that would that would never be that would never be in the media. Go back a couple of years like that stuff that that event. It's unfortunate, very bad that it's occurred and these. You know the people who experience these attacks; they are victims of crime. Um, which that's that's a really important point to focus yep. on. Um, but like that, that event would never make it to news headline to the front of the ABC News. You know, so and and the attackers are definitely leveraging this. Um, so you know, I think I think we need to really change the narrative on it and and focus on that. You know, if you experience these breaches, like you are you are a victim of a crime. Yeah, um, it's mm. it's not. We run to oh, who's at fault? These yeah. guys there, you're you're negligent. I'm like, well, not necessarily. I think um, you're definitely right that uh, because there's been so much media, people are probably playing on it. Um, and there, there has been breaches for years, and people in the IT industry know that there has been breaches. Right? It's just that the, I think mainstream now media they're sick of talking about COVID, so they got to get something else. Uh, <laughs> and um, but it's probably a good thing. And I've had conversations with heads of IT who are actually trying to capitalise on that. So that the fear with the, the people who hold up the economical buyer, that kind of person who before wouldn't have put budget towards cybersecurity, they go, no, no, there's all these breaches, the awareness is up and actually the IT managers are trying to capitalise on that, which is probably a good thing that people are more aware, um, but the industry is definitely going out of control. What are, what are some interesting attacks that you've seen recently? You know, I remember, I remember seeing some attacks that, you know, you get like recruiters trying to talk to people and they would be, you know, attackers in disguise. Um, I remember hearing about people applying for, this didn't happen to SwiftX, this is, uh, yeah. this is, this is stuff that, this one I've heard about. Um, you know, people applying for jobs and being sort of insider agents. Um, and, you know, I think there's a whole world of discussion that you can go into there. So about. trying to bre- breach the human element, like kind of get behind all the controls? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think the, the remote work has, has opened this up mm. in, to where um, – and this is – this there's documented evidence of this happening, uh, like these sort of very prolific attacker groups – applying for jobs in tech firms to get insider agents in there, purely remote workers, and they pass the technical interviews through, you know, through they just get skilled up at it and they, they're, they're experts at passing these interviews because um, – and then you've got even now like some of these sort of AI systems, it's going to be very interesting how they start to change their, you know, the remote tech interviews thing. You might be mm-hmm. – you might end up hiring someone who never actually existed. It might be, <laughs> might be a robot. Awesome world. That's a whole tangent to, to go down. Yeah. I think we're seeing some attacks that are really starting to change their barriers of entry. Like um, there's, you know, attacks on cars, like, you know, like attacks on satellite systems. It could be be anything. So, I mean, on the flip side, do you think, again, being in the industry for so long, do you think as a a business culture, if you like, has been a bit lacklustre around security? And maybe not taking it as serious as they as they should have up until it's got kind of exposure in the media. Yeah, I definitely think so, and and I, I think it relates back to security was born out of IT, and yeah. everyone's just happy that it's you know it's happy there, it's doing its job until it isn't, and then you know it becomes the number one thing that everyone wants to talk about. And yeah, the, you know the CEO wants a daily update and <laughs> all these things, but you know before that you couldn't get the time of them to do their job, and yeah, that probably resonates with with uh, with. with quite a few groups um so yeah i I think a security moves into you know the task is to make a resilient business 
that's resilient against attacks and, and, and bad things happening. Yep. Um, you, you can start to show a lot more value to the business. Um, I think everyone can probably thank the poor brothers and sisters at Optus and Medibank for unlocking mm. uh, that, that budget and probably unlocking access to the board. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I been, agree. Boards and CFOs are the two big changes. They're getting really cyber conscious and asking internally a, a lot of questions. There's a lot of, there's a lot of frameworks out there. Yeah, 27001, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, there's the ASD Essential 8. There's NIST and all, all these frameworks. What's your advice um, to businesses about how what framework should I pick to align to? Because it's hard to do all of them. It takes a long time, right? Um what process would you go through to pick the right framework to align to? The stuff like the ASD, the Essential 8, that'll make you pretty resilient against the most number of attacks that, that they see in Australia. I quite like that. Um, I, I think anything which is making you resilient against phishing and makes you helps protect your identity uh, and, your, and your endpoints, you've probably covered a lot of the most common attacks right there for most for most businesses doesn't mean you're impervious um but you you're probably a lot better than you know your neighbor who hasn't applied those things i like iso 27001 because it's a more holistic one um it doesn't get down to the specifics the too detailed of how to implement everything it's more just describes at a high level it's that plan do check act cycle right it describes how to how to do that and the things that should be in place to sort of show that you've got a program that has management support and it has longevity. That's that's what it's trying to establish is this isn't just a, a single photograph of, mm. of your security program. This is a, uh, you know, a series of, you know, sorry, that this is, this is going to lead to a long-lasting program that's going to protect your customers and your, and your business. We, I've used this sort of NIST CSF a lot, the cybersecurity framework. It's it's, it's really good. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of it. It's pretty broad. It's detailed enough. Um, covers a lot of domains, and I feel as though if you're if you can respond to a lot of them, even at the most basic level, you, you've probably got the foundations of a pretty good business right there. So if you if you're internal in a business right now, and I know you do some consulting work as well, um, what criteria would you go through to select what frameworks? Because if you've had that big one right, um, and yeah, you know, being SwiftX twenty seven thousand one makes perfect sense, right? But say you're a smaller business, you might more aligned to not just want the time to go through the process, right? Something else. What criteria would you go through to advise a business on what framework? It would depend upon the like the risks. That's that, that's where you start is like understanding the risks in which you operate, and you know what's the sort of regulatory landscape in which in which you you know you work you know are you providing critical infrastructure well there's you know there's guidance and standards are your financial services well you know there's some APRA stuff that you can use there so um, if the risk is larger you would go more towards NIST or more towards uh, 27001 how, how does that work I would if you, if you were getting things going I would grab NIST CSF uh, anyone can get that public document and and just start just have a read it's not that big. It's you know it's got a, got a reasonable amount, and if you can you know some areas you can just completely remove. Um, I think if you I think if you pick that, you're going to be you know you're coming from a pretty good base. So you talked earlier earlier uh, when you were going through some of the stuff you did at SwiftX around uh, creating an offensive program, so not just looking at the internal protecting our data and how people get in, but also building an, an offensive program. Can you explain a bit more about that and how would businesses start an offensive program? I'll tell you what an offensive program is. 
talk about you know when when you might need it and how you might use it. So an offensive program like people would have heard of it like in penetration testing, and and the concept would be how you uh, take that and then build it into your your more you know daily, weekly, monthly routines. Um, and its purpose is to give just continuous assurance that you are that you are primed and ready for when the bad guys come knocking. So one of the things you do in that program is you think about, well, what are our threats? Uh, how, what tactics do they use? What tooling, you know, how do, how do they operate, these, these, these bad actor groups? And then you go and model that and you say, well, well this group is just pick an easy one, like fishing. This is, this is the techniques they use and they use this sort of, um, they use these sort of uh, fishing mechanisms. Um, and then you go and test your organisation against it. So you actually do the attack. In a nice way, you know, <laughs> not, a, not, a, not, a, not a naughty way. Um, so you do the attack and then out of that, you know that out of our 100 people in the company, um, we were able to get 10% credentials or, you know, whatever your figure may be or you target your admins and we were able to get one user's, one, one admin's creds um, from, a, you know, your moderate level of complexity phishing attack. And then you can use that to build that through. Now you know, okay, well, we've, we're... At the very front door from phishing, we're at this level. And then you might keep pushing that program through. You might then say, okay, well, let's say we've, you know, we, we've proved, we've tested the hypothesis that you can fish our, one of our admin. And then you go onto their desktop or, you know, you spin up a corporate device, which, any, which anyone would get. And then you go and see, well, what can we do from here? Um, you test and say, well, well we run, uh, you know, whatever vendor... XDR, EDR, whatever, and you and you test that it's actually going to do its job, and so you could get your your sort of good guy attacker to write some code, uh, which once again mirrors what those attacker groups do, their mm-hmm. techniques and tooling, and test well how resilient are we against that sort of attack, um, and it's actually like you can you can do this stuff. It sounds really complex, and like a lot of a lot of big companies would do this, but I, I don't think it's that. Unreachable yeah. for a lot of companies. If you've got really keen techies, like you could do sort of like hackathons around this, like like a fun sort of engagement. Give people forty eight hours and say, let's hack the business. Let's see what we can do. Here's a bunch of pizzas. Here's some cartons of beer. Uh, go at it. And like it's it'd be a really great engagement. And if, like if you've got really keen techies, like they've they've all got that inner security person in them. Like that that hat is they they definitely wear it all the time and they'll they'll come up with like phishing attacks and they'll come up with like um you know these things called like we call them lol bins or something you know living off the land like they're they're like they're malware but they're you know it runs and uses consumes the the you know the capabilities locally on the machine to perform its its jobs you know and um so you know they could they could write that and next thing you know you've you've now got the beginnings of a um you yeah. know a fledgling offensive That's program, program yeah. and you're away it's kind of interesting we talked about this last week um how you were mentioning you know kind of on the flip side to that or part of that offensive program then is or maybe it's the defensive program is how would you respond um to an event so just sit there and go this has happened now business go what would you do once you've identified once the offenders are in and they're doing something, so the nice offenders. Okay, <laughs> now the other team defend. What Ab- would you do? Absolutely, and that, and that that's the crucial bit. That's how you really link it to the return on investment. There is is to its job is to make the business more resilient. So you 
you know, you've tested yourself against this attack, but the, throughout the whole thing, you've got an internal security program. It doesn't matter if there's not like some, you know, 24-7 SOC or anything like that. You know, anywhere, any business has some level of a security program. You then take, you know, the elements, the artifacts that are generated by the offensive tests and you say, well, what did we see? What did we see from the phishing? Did our, did our email system, did it pick anything up? You know, how could we make it better to detect um, the, you know, the, these sort of phishing attacks? And then, you know, underlying that's the human element as well. How do we make our staff more resilient? How do we, you know, we give them a bit of training? That's pretty good. You know, give them more testing, yeah. you know. That's stuff. interesting. When you said offence, I thought you were meaning uh, attack back to hackers is what I thought you were you're going, not attack to internally as attack a... Attack the hackers. Yeah, that's what I thought you were doing, but uh, You've got to be careful with that. That's yeah. It's, it's, like it's, it's a bit illegal. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. But one key takeaway from that, from what you just said, is it's... You're probably right. People think it's really complicated mm. and oh, I've got an offensive cyber program. But what you're saying, you can do some pretty simple things to get some pretty high value results. Absolutely. Yeah. You can go and get like people people publish their playbooks for, for, for this sort of thing on how to on how to do it. You can go on GitHub right now and download someone's quite well built out red teaming program and see and run it. You know, it's not it's not like it's actual code, it's it's instructions. Yep. You know, how to how to execute this sort of attack against your own business. It costs you zero dollars, you know, it costs you time and a six yeah. pack, like whatever. <laughs> What um? How many businesses are actually doing that? Um, that would be quite low. Like, I guess, in your opinion, like, I, I, I think pretty low. Yeah. Like, like mm. the big end of town, um, you definitely see it. There's there's a really awesome like Google series on it where they they talk about how they do it in internally. Yeah. It's really really fascinating. If when you uh, say a Google series, it's on YouTube. They made like a you know, this is how sort of the Google security program works. It's, oh, okay. it's really right. I watched it with my wife to sort of show her, this is what I do for, <laughs> for a job. And she was uh, awake. Did, did she? Yeah. Make, did, she <laughs> did she make it through? It? No. <laughs> she was. She was into it for a bit. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's a really great way like to watch that. You know, like like people should send that around to their their like you know their board of directors and say you know their. You know, there's C levels and say this. This is you know, yeah. right? Google's worth a lot of money. You can take it in concept. Like yeah. you don't have to do the specifics. They, yeah. you know, they they talk about an attack they did there. I really wanted to do this at SwiftX. We were starting to think about how we were going to do it. Like Google did this attack where they um they got a a USB uh, powered um spark globe you know you touch them and the little lightning bolt oh i've always yeah. wanted one of those yeah <laughs> yeah i so remember they, when i was a kid <laughs> so their, their red team got got one of these and then they um they got uh it's good like a rubber ducky right like it's a little um you can go online this website hack five you can download all these hacker products i uh, saw you can buy all these hacker products and it's a remotely it's a programmable keyboard and so they got the the electric usb globe they built in this this keyboard and they had it so as soon as you plug it in your virtual keyboard? No, no. So it's a physical keyboard okay. in concept. Okay. Like the computer, you plug it into your device and your computer goes, oh, that's just a keyboard. Uh, okay. oh, so and yeah, then yeah. it just starts typing at 10,000 characters a second and all you see is a screen pop up and disappear. And now from plugging in that device, that little funny little globe, uh, it's now completely taken over your system. Wow. So it's gone online, it's downloaded, it's binaries, it's pulled and it's executing on your local host or it's pulled out, you know, it's pulled every Jesus. ounce of data out of it. So Google talks about how they did that attack 
Um, I was so keen to execute. I just <laughs> yeah. ran out of time. That's really um, cool. I've, I've heard of um, people dropping off USBs and reception desks and see how many get plugged in, which exactly. happens all the time. I've never heard of one of those zappy light bulbs <laughs> just dropping off somewhere. <laughs> it's the exact same. It's yeah. the exact same concept. You know, all the, all they're trying to do is give people a reason to plug it in, something so into their computer. Yep. Everyone's probably across though. Oh, yeah, don't plug the USB drives in. Yeah. But I don't think people would realise like that. You know, you can do anything with a USB. You go on the Hack Five website now. You can get a iPhone charging cable that you plug it in, plug it into your iPhone. It's actually got built into it like a Wi-Fi connection and a remote keyboard. And then I could sit in the car park and send remote commands. I'd have a remote keyboard onto your system like, through the cable. Yeah, cost ninety bucks, right? Like, don't get any ideas, Barnsley. Oh, Jesus, yeah, That's so, scary. <laughs> you know, like that—that that sort of stuff's fun to do. You do it part of your hackathon. You go spend a couple hundred bucks on these cool things and. You know, you start to teach people about what's possible. Like if people know what's possible, they can defend against it. I, and think, I think those things make it tangible, right? Like you said, like I think people think that they spend tons of money on on programs, and you know, you need you spend some some money. But yeah, for if you just kind of be a bit creative with it, get a few little cheap tools. As I said, buy some beer, buy a pizza, whatever. A bit of time invested, and off you go. And that makes it real, like it's tangible. People have actually experienced that, so they'll they'll remember. Yeah, okay, I plug that thing in and. Things got a bit crazy. Mm. So. If you could provide some security tips for uh, personal people, so interesting tips um, throughout your, all your years of experience and all the crazy stuff you've seen, um, what are the top kind of three or four things you'd recommend? Look, I always try and imagine how I protect my my elderly parents from from getting hacked. That's my they're my they're my benchmark. Your, your litmus <laughs> test. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, like it's 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 probably a bit controversial, but I would I would absolutely support writing down your passwords in a little book <laughs> if you're if you're my 60 some year old parents because okay. it's probably more going to be more secure than however they you know whatever they're doing on their systems um a spreadsheet or a word document or something on mm-hmm. the desktop yeah. Yeah. A- absolutely like it's it's yeah it's it's not great not great practice you won't win any awards for that <laughs> but um you know it's about protecting them Look, a big one and is to use, I recommend this to anyone, like use a Chromebook. They are so resilient to, to attack. Most people, if you look at the, what they're actually using their system for, they log in, they open a web browser. That's the only thing their system ever does. Mm. So that device is basically, that's its whole purpose and it just runs web browsers in secure sandboxes. So it is very difficult for an attacker to take over the system. It isn't. Perfect. Um, it's it's very good. Are you saying business use or like students or elderly or you could apply it to anything. Like like if you had a customer service operation, that would be a really easy way to you know protect a lot of that space. Um, and you know the Google ecosphere, they're 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 getting better at the sort of enterprise space. There's there's some good stuff there. You know like they have like managed Chrome browsers stuff like that. Um, Office 365 space has the same going now. Like their sort of Defender products are they're really good. Like that's like really high level. And use a, use an iPhone as well. They, Apple protects their uh, ecosystem way better than, than Android. But I use and they're Android, enhancing so. that. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> and they're enhancing that again. I believe. I think uh, the Apple just released their putting some next level encryption in place um, shortly. They're really good on privacy. They're really good, really good on secure. They, they, they fundamentally, they, they protect their ecosystem. They, they don't let in as much rubbish as, as Android lets in. Like it doesn't make it perfect, but they're, they're pretty good. They do a bit more scrutiny on, on what comes in the app store. Yeah. 
I've definitely heard that from businesses that we work with that try and uh, get apps on the app store, and it's a it's a big process, which is a good thing. You're like, you the, you you want that to be a big process, right? The last thing is the 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 religion that everyone needs to get on board is just put MFA, multi-factor, two-factor, whatever. Put it on just everything. Like yep. it, it should be coded. Just accept that it's way of life. Don't yeah. complain. You got to spend an extra ten seconds to log into something. Yeah. I feel that that tide is changing. And now a year ago, yeah, probably a year ago, in in my role with our clients, it was always the more senior people, which are the ones who are actually probably the more risky people to not have it, because um, they've got the keys to all the different systems. You know, there was a lot. Yeah, there was a lot of resistance. If I'm if I'm honest, like I don't want that on my machine. But now everyone's kind of, it's changing. You can, it's being accepted. You can tie it back like that. The question earlier about some of the attacks, like if you if you look at that the Uber breach, that was one of the things they executed there was basically like an MFA flood attack. Yep. They just spammed some poor person and called them up in the middle of the night and said, "Hey, I'm from IT. If you just just hit accept and that that stuff all that MFA prompt will go away." And someone's going, oh, "Okay." <laughs> now they've just logged into their VPN. Mm-hmm. You know the attacker. Um, so. Definitely to try and move, like, let's say for your home, you're unlikely to be targeted with that at home. But for a business to, like, to move away from the um, just the prompt ones, the, yes, I that is me. It takes you about, you know, if you use, like, the Office 365, like the Azure. Um, so you, don't use the, uh, the Authenticator app. Uh, no, the numbers are really good yep. because what, what you're doing is you're adding deliberate friction to the MFA process where you, yep. people, people ran too quick to... We need to make it so seamless that our 62-year-old CEO can use it. Yep. Hence the hitting um, yes and goes in, right? Exactly. Yep. And so now we need to add in a tiny bit of friction to make it mm. a bit more resilient. And mm. so like the ones where you type in the code, awesome. The ones where you've got to match a code up with what's on the screen, very, very good. Those, mm. are, those are great things. Do you have an opinion on the authentication uh, cadence? If you like, you know how you can set it to 14 days or 30 days or whatever. Is that for how long it keeps you logged in? Yeah, yeah, that one, sorry, yep. It all comes down to like what the system is, like if it's, you know, you're... Like Office 365 is the classic one, right? So everyone's got that. Yeah, people's, like email's just the centre of your life now. I think like yeah. we, we probably let that, you know, so much of your identity is tied back to if someone can get in your emails, mm. that probably compromised your entire life. Like yeah. some of those systems you probably need to be yeah. a little bit more strict on and say... Yeah. You know, we we you should have to log into this a little bit more frequently. That's yep. that's that's probably something. I I'm probably not so great at that at home. I'm definitely not. But you know, uh, yeah, that I'm, makes I'm sense. not sure. Hey, thank, thanks for just coming in. Really appreciate the insights you've uh, given for personal users and some interesting ones like Google Chromebooks uh, <laughs> and also your experience and what frameworks to align to, mate. So really appreciate. It. Anything else you want to add before we close out? No. That's about it. I'm, uh, it's been great in here chatting with you. I don't know what I'm going to do now. <laughs> got to meet your accounts, don't you? Yeah, I do have to yeah. talk to my account. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get your personal passwords. Mate. I have to do that. Yeah. Yep. 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 No, it's great. No, thanks for having me. It was really, really good fun. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for coming in.